Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at Divine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. And now we're going to turn again to God's Word, and we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. So let's read together. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the uh, custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, You may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what he'd said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years uh, after her marriage and, there were, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Now, as I've mentioned earlier in the meeting, we at the Vine Church are very much feeling the loss of a wonderful saint and member of the church, Diane Charnley, who very unexpectedly passed away just a week ago last Sunday. And we'll give some more details about plans for her funeral when we have them. But you know, there are some people in life who are just quietly consistent in what they do. It would be easy to miss their significance, so kind of faithful and under the radar they are. Diane was one such person. I mean, as many people have said, she was a very compassionate lady. 
But you know what I think is so true about Diane? And that is this, that her compassion for people was deeply rooted in her passion for God. I can remember when I used to go uh, to uh, her house and often she would have worship CDs playing at full volume uh, when she was there. She loved worshipping God and she also loved witnessing for Jesus. She was the one who would do all the catering for our Alpha courses. She was the one who would go out and knock on people's doors to invite them to Alpha courses. She was passionate about Alpha because she was passionate about people knowing about the Jesus who she was passionate about. Now, as we start out in a new series in Luke's Gospel today, we have many witnesses who were passionate about Jesus and who wanted to tell about what they had seen. And Luke calls forth many witnesses who have seen and testify to Jesus. Why does Luke do this? Why does he write this letter, this gospel? Well, we're told in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, that he is writing to the most excellent Theophilus, And he's writing an orderly account that he might have certainty of the things that he had been taught. You see, Theophilus was most likely a God-fearing Gentile, a high-ranking God-fearing Gentile who had seen Jesus and been converted to Christianity, but was young and perhaps uncertain in his faith and may have had some wobbles. And therefore, Luke picks up his pen and writes an orderly account so that Theophilus might have certainty of the things that he had been taught. And so he pens this most elegant and excellent gospel to the most excellent Theophilus. And Luke calls forth eyewitnesses, often in pairs. He's called forth the shepherds and the wise men who have witnessed to God's salvation. Often his pairs of witnesses are male and female pairs. And so we've seen Mary and Zachariah, who each declare God's salvation in their songs, the Magnificat and the Benedictus. Now Luke gives us another male and female pair of witnesses, two people who have each had a long, steady, consistent walk with God, who each in their turn have been worshipping and waiting. Not noisy, violent agitators engaging in armed insurrection, but two of the quiet in the land watching and waiting and praying. Two quiet revolutionaries. Two people who we could so easily miss, but who are incredibly attractive and powerful characters when we look closely at them. Two people who were passionate about God's salvation and wanted to speak of it when they saw it. Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna have both been waiting a very long time. They both know that the Messiah is coming and they are waiting, waiting, waiting. 
Now, I want to share with you a few thoughts that we can get from this passage about what it means for us as Christians to wait for God. And I want to mention a few things about waiting. The first is this. Waiting is godly. Waiting is a godly thing, a good thing to do. Take Simeon. In verse 5, it tells us he was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You see, for Simeon, waiting was part of what it meant to be righteous. Simeon was righteous and devout, and he was waiting. People who are willing to wait show that they have faith for something in the future. I mean, if you're willing to wait patiently during a national lockdown, it shows that you're hoping that there will be freedom round the corner. If you're willing to make sacrifices to study or to work hard, it shows that you're hoping and waiting for a better future for yourself as a result. And as Christians, if we make sacrifices, if we forego sin, if we, uh, uh, if we wait patiently and pray and watch, it's proof that we have faith that God has more for us in the future. Waiting is a good godly thing to do. It shows that we have faith in God. Or take Anna. In verse 36, we read that she was very old. She'd lived with her husband for seven years. She'd been widowed. Now she was 84. So most likely what happened is this, that Anna had probably married at around, let's say, the age of 18. And then her husband had died when she was, say, 25. And she then lived the next nearly 60 years as a widow. Now, she faced two great trials in her life. The first, of course, was the loss of her husband so prematurely. The second was that she waited for years and decades with no answer. Now, how do you cope when you face disappointment and pain and delay in your life? You see, it would be very easy for us to become bitter, hardened as a result of the pain and disappointments and delays. You see, when you face sorrow, you can either become bitter and, hot and resentful and rebellious against God, or you can become kinder and softer and more sympathetic. We can either be despoiled of our faith, or we can find that our faith gets rooted deeper in God if we hold on to him during those difficult times. And so as we look at Anna, we see that although she had become weak in her body, yet in her spirit she was strong in faith. Though her eyes had perhaps dimmed, yet her eyes of faith were as sharp as ever. She was still looking and waiting and expecting. She was vibrant and strong in her faith, despite the pain and despite the delays. And so I want to encourage you today. You may have disappointments. You may have distress. You ha may have delays. It may have sapped you of your hope and your strength. But I want to encourage you today 
press into God and let it instead strengthen your faith and your eyes to see him. So the first thing is that waiting is a godly thing to do. The second thing is this, that waiting, we wait for God's promises. Now, sometimes we wait for things and we're not sure if they're going to happen. For example, we don't know for certain that things are going to get better for us as the year goes on with COVID. We can trust and pray that it will. We don't know for certain that if we work hard, we're going to be more successful in the future, but we can be hopeful that that's the case. But when it comes to the promises of God, we can be certain and therefore we can wait with utter confidence that God will come good for us. And so we see with Simeon and Anna that their waiting is predicated and based upon the promises of God that are sure and certain. How do they know that the Messiah is coming? How can they be so sure? Well, because they have the witness of the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets from the past, from the Old Testament, bear witness to them so that therefore they can be confident that the Messiah will come. They have the law. You notice in these verses, verses 22 to 24, that we read three times how Moses, uh, sorry, Joseph and Mary are fulfilling the requirements of the law of Moses. They do three things. They take Jesus to be circumcised on the eighth day in accordance with the law of Moses. They then go to, the, to uh, Jerusalem after 40 days when Jesus is just a month, just over a month old after 40 days. Mary goes there for her purification because the Leviticus required that a, a mother after she'd given birth should go and make a sacrifice to be purified so she could re-enter the worship life of Israel after 40 days. And so she was doing that to fulfill the law. And then also they were thirdly fulfilling the requirement to present their firstborn son, the son who had opened the mother's womb, as an as a offering to God, presented to God as his this is something that had been required in Exodus chapter 13 in the context of the Exodus where do you remember how the firstborn sons had been rescued on the Passover night and God said to the Israelites, your firstborn are mine but you can redeem them back by the payment of five shekels. And so you get your son back, but uh, you have to come and bring him and present him to God as uh, that kind of uh, signifying that, uh, that, that occasion. And so that's what's happened. They are fulfilling the law and doing what God had required. You see what Luke is doing here? Luke is showing us that Joseph and Mary are good law-abiding people, as we should be. But indeed, they are good Jewish parents. And Jesus will be a good law-abiding Jewish boy who would be born under the law to redeem those under the law. But the law was pointing ahead to its fulfillment in Jesus. The law, Jesus would be the fulfillment of the law, and so the law was about waiting for Jesus. But the other thing they had was the prophets, 
And the prophets of the Old Testament had repeatedly spoken about the consolation of Israel, the comfort that God would bring to his people, that the Messiah would come and bring an end to their suffering. And so, for example, we find in Isaiah 40 and verse 1 that it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim that her hard service has been completed and her sin has been paid for. There's another wonderful promise in Isaiah 51 and verse 3. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and look with compassion on all her ruins. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the sound of singing. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. God had spoken about how his salvation was on the way. I mean, there's so many wonderful verses, and we can perhaps take comfort from these verses at this time as well. Isaiah 57 speaks about how God will heal his people, how he will guide his people, how he will restore comfort to Israel's mourners and create praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those who are far off and to those who are near to the Jew and to the Gentile, and I will heal them. Promises from God. Isaiah 66, one final verse for you. For this is what the Lord says. I love this verse. Jamie sang earlier about it is well with my soul. We can say this. I will extend peace to her like a river. And the wealth of nations like a flooding stream you will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. What a great verse, eh? As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. You see, Simeon and Anna had the promises of God and that's why they were confident as they waited. And you know, we too can obey God in every part of our lives because we can be confident that God has promised to be with us as we put him first. The third thing we can see about waiting from this passage is this. And uh, Hillary brought it out so brilliantly for us in the children's talk. We wait for God's timing. You know, sometimes I find with God, you have to wait for ages for something to happen. Other times, it's like buses all coming at once. God acts very suddenly and sooner than you expected. And we find that there is actually God's perfect timing in every part of life. Simeon calls God the sovereign Lord. He is sovereign over the big macro affairs of the nations, but he is also sovereign over every hour and detail of our lives as well. And so we find that Simeon has been told by God that he wouldn't die before he saw the Christ. We don't know where he got that from, but perhaps it was from Daniel chapter 9, where it speaks rather enig enigmatically about a sort of period of 490 years before uh, the anointed one would come. And so perhaps there were those in Israel at the time of Simeon 
who were very much expecting that now was the time for the Messiah to come. But I think also it, was, it tells us that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that the Christ would come before he would die. The perfect timing of God. And it tells us in verse 38 that Anna came up to them at that very moment. I mean, get this, Anna could have missed the moment. But the timing of God was so impeccable that she came up to them at that very moment when they were there. And you know, sometimes you look at your life and you think, wow, the timing of God, just that hour, that, that coincidental meeting with someone, but it's God's perfect timing. And so at a time of uncertainty in our world and in our lives, we can know that God is sovereign and his timing, folks, is perfect. The fourth and final thing that we can see about waiting is this. We've seen that waiting is godly. We've seen that waiting, we wait for God's promises. We've seen that we wait for God's timing. And finally, I want us to see that waiting is an active thing, not a passive thing. You see, we could sort of think, well, waiting, that just means that I am um, I sit around and watch Netflix and go on social media while I wait for God to do something. You know, they found out apparently that people on average spend up, are going to end up spending seven years of their life on social media in total. Can you believe that? And apparently the younger generation, it's going to be about 10 years of their life that they spend on social media. Now, look, there's nothing wrong necessarily with social media, but I'm just saying that there is more to life than just binging on Netflix and social media. Actually, the waiting that we have can be a productive and active and faith-filled kind of waiting. And that's certainly the case for Simeon and for Anna. I love this. Don't miss this, folks. Look at this passage. It tells us that for Simeon, there were three things. It says the Spirit was upon him. It says the Spirit had revealed to him. And it says the Spirit moved him to go to uh, Mary and Joseph at that moment. That's what God does with us. The Spirit can be upon us. The Spirit can reveal things to us. But it's so that we can then be moved by the Spirit to action. The Spirit doesn't just sit on us to make us have a fuzzy feeling. But it, he comes to us so that he can open our eyes to see God's truth. And then in the light of what we see, to act upon that truth in the power of the Spirit. You know, for... Um, the autumn, I, started to, I tried to do a bit of running in the dark. And uh, believe you me, it was a bit scary until I got myself a head torch. Wow, an amazing invention I discovered. I've got a head torch. And now as I'm running along the canal path, it's amazing because it lights up the way so that I can see the next step that I should take without falling over. It's brilliant. I recommend it, really do. Um, 
And God lights up our way by his spirit through his word so that we know the next step that we can take and the next steps that he wants us to take. What's the next step that God's calling you to take right now? You could think, well, I can't do anything. Well, yes, you can. In God, you can do much. And so we find that when the Holy Family is brought to the temple by the need to fulfill the law, Simeon is brought into the temple by an impulse of the spirit which he acts upon. He has a special sensitivity to the spirit which is born of his close walk with God. And so he takes Jesus in his arms and he's able to say, Lord, you can dismiss me now. The night watchman who now knows that his shift is over because the goal of his long vigil has been reached. He's finished his job. He's seen God's salvation. And Anna, in verse 37, it tells us that she never left the temple, but day and night she stayed in the temple. Anna was in a self-imposed lockdown. For decades, there in the temple, she stayed there. But was she passive? No, it tells us that she worshipped and fasted and prayed day and night. Anna was active during her lockdown, actively seeking God. And that's what we can do as well. Now, I said that it was the last point, but this is just my final little landing for you today because waiting, we see that these two are waiting to witness for God. They're waiting to witness. I forgot I'd got a fifth point, but it's very brief, I promise you. Um, we see that with Anna, in verse 38, she spoke about the child to all who were waiting. As soon as she saw the child, she spoke about him. And as soon as we see God's salvation, we too can speak about him. We see that Simeon, too, speaks. He says, mine eyes have seen your salvation. He gives the priestly blessing to Mary. And then in verse 34, he says this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. It's like Simeon is saying that Jesus is going to be God's stone, God's boulder. Now, again, I won't use, I try not to use running analogies in the future. I know some of you get fed up if I do too many of them, okay? But it's kind of part of me. The other day over Christmas, I was running and there was this really high style and I was doing a time trial uh, out in the countryside and it was a really high style. And as I tried to step over it, I caught my toe and I went hurtling over and just very softly landed on the grass on the other side and gave out a loud yelp. You see, when you're out and walking, if you come to an obstacle, two things can happen. You can either fall on it or you can rise up because of it. And Jesus was going to be God's obstacle, God's stone. And people would either fall flat on their faces because of him as they rejected him, or they would rise up because they accepted him and be lifted up by him. Jesus would be the stone on which some would rise and some would fall. And we're going to find that right the way through Luke's gospel. That the humble ones would be lifted up and the proud ones would fall flat 
on their faces, that the outsiders would become the insiders and the insiders would be cast out, that the hungry would be filled and the full would go away empty. Towards Jesus Christ, there can be no neutrality, folks. You're either in and rise up with him or you reject him and you fall flat on your face. That was Simeon's proclamation. And he spoke, of course, to Mary too about how her service would be painful. A sword would pierce her own heart. But listen, folks, thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for listening to God's word this morning. And I want to just say to you this. Simeon and Anna had to wait for God's salvation before they could witness. But do you know what? That's one thing that we don't have to wait for. We do not have to wait before we can witness because we have seen Jesus. And therefore, we should witness to him, joyfully declaring him as Diane did, as we're called to do, as we start an alpha course, for example. It is now is the time to witness because we have seen God's salvation. And so may we pray. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to wait, to wait patiently, to wait hopefully, to wait actively, to wait for your perfect timing, to seek you, And uh, Lord, we thank you that your Christ has come and we have seen your salvation. And so help us, O God, to witness for you. As we start out this new year, may we be your witnesses. May we know your help, your encouragement, and your strengthening. If people are going through a difficult time right now, may they press into you and know you, and meet with you. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.